This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Welcome back. Uh, I'm your host, Christopher Rose, with the Center for Middle Eastern Studies, part of Hemispheres. On this episode of 15-Minute History, we're going to be talking about mapping perspectives on the U.S.-Mexican War. Today's guest is Chloe Ireton, who is a doctoral student in the Department of History here at UT, where she works on early modern Iberian Atlantic history. Welcome, Chloe. Hello. Uh, So what maps are we going to be looking at, and how do they reflect perspectives on the U.S.-Mexican War? So specifically today, I'm going to be talking about the maps of Mexico that were produced by two U.S. publishing houses based in New York. One was Jadis Tunnel, and the other one was Ensigns and Sire. And each organization revised and republished on numerous occasions during the wars a number of maps which depicted Mexico. I'm going to be talking to start with about Distonel. He was one of the most prolific map publishers in the US during the mid-19th century. The publisher focused mostly on tourist guides and maps of North American states and regions, but he published at least three separate maps of Mexico between 1846 and 1848, each of which he revised and republished almost annually during and in the aftermath of the war years. A defining feature of Destinel's maps uh, was that he copied cartography from older map publications, but added annotations and inserted other notes and sketches which served to visually represent North American gains during the war. This process of adding details as they happened and republishing illustrates the new literal and figurative uh, definitions of the American nation almost in real time to his audience, so they're quite interesting. So what is distinctive about these maps? Um, Okay, so basically, uh, one of the maps which I'll talk about is the 1847 uh, map of Mexico. It was called Mapa de los Estados Unidos de México, según lo organizado y definido por varias actas de Congreso de dicha república. It was a copy of a map printed a decade earlier in Paris called the Congreso General Mexicano. Um, This Sunel's map is bilingual and it retained the Spanish title and therefore an ironic notion that the Mexican uh, Republican Congress had approved the contents of his map. In fact, uh, his map was a copy of a map that was 20 years out of date. Um, And the English part of the map, on the most part, represents Distonel's descriptive insertions of the geography and history of Mexico and recent events, while the Spanish text represents the ideas, uh, sorry, the areas of the map that he directly copied from the Paris edition. Um, So what's distinctive about it? He inserted key symbology into both the 1847 map and the 1850 revised edition of the map in order to strengthen a sense of US national identity. So the most obvious purpose of the Dissonel's maps was to redraw the boundaries of the US nation. Uh, When we compare Dissonel's 1847 map and the original 1837 map version that he copied, it's clear that Dissonel altered the border. In the 1837 version, Texas uh, was represented as a part of Mexico and therefore not independent, even though Texas had actually declared itself a republic in 1836, a year earlier. in the 1847 copy, Distonel altered this and portrayed Texas as independent from Mexico. As a result, uh, Distonel also changed the U.S.-Mexican national boundary too, and he clearly drew the border between the two nations as running across the Rio Grande, where it is today. Um, it is important to remember that this was actually an anticipatory move. So the war had started in 1846. It was not until 1848 in the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo that both sides finally agreed that that would be where the new boundary would lie. So, aware of the fact that the border had not yet been formally agreed, Distonel inserted the text boundary as claimed by the United States. <laughs> 
But, you know, in spite of this text, his portrayal of the new border, uh, clearly at the Rio Grande, uh, would have made the contentious border a reality in the minds of viewers of the map in New York, for example, um, since the border is clearly drawn at the Rio Grande and not further north where they might have seen it. Right. So, yeah, and this was really important. Uh, recently, a historian called Paula Robert had illustrated how the political negotiations in both nations during the 1848 border treaty mistakenly used de Stenel's highly inaccurate 1847 map and um, the border that he had displayed. She says this caused severe conflicts between the cartographers from both nations as the cartographical representations did not reflect the geographical realities that they found themselves in on the ground. Right. Um, and so, yeah, this caused a lot of difficulties in plotting the new border. So when taking into account the power of visual representations, it is worth asking whether Dissonel's anticipatory uh, drawing of the new border, which in effect made a reality of something that had not yet been realised in a treaty, may have affected the political choice of where the border would run when politicians did actually negotiate it. So we see clearly that these maps affected or possibly affected where, where the border placement was. Um, how else uh, did these maps create a sense of national identity, both in the U.S. and in its perceptions of Mexico? Well, one of the really interesting and salient features of both Distanel's 1847 and the 1850 editions was the pressing need to create a new, a revised sense of national identity that takes into account the impending extended geographical boundaries. Because we must remember that Mexico lost almost half of its territory and the US gained massive expansion to California and New Mexico as a result of this war. Right. So in um, so both editions feature heavy annotations of the new territories. Um, in 1847, Distanel noted that these regions were as claimed by the United States reflecting that the treaty had not yet um, happened. But by 1850, once once the US had actually gained these things, uh, these states, the, um, the 1850 map represents the Hidalgo Treaty of 1848, and California is clearly outlined as a US territory. In the 1847 edition, Dissonel used his map to demonstrate that Mexicans had failed to properly inhabit California and put it to productive use. There are ample descriptions of how Native Americans dominated the territories and of independent Indian tribes that both the Mexicans and their Spanish predecessors had continuously failed to assimilate into the Mexican nation. In contrast, though, when we look at the 1850 edition, um, the textual inserts in California kind of describe a bountiful ex-Mexico with vast natural resources that would be beneficial for the U.S., for example, whereas in the 1847 edition, Salt Lake just appeared as a name, in the 1850 edition, Distano inserted a text describing how important the region was. I quote, The Salt Lake is one of the wonders of nature, and perhaps without a rival in the world, is a saturated solution of salt of 100 miles of diameter. In another part of California, Distano inserted, and I quote, The Bear River Valley, with its rich bottom, fine grass, fields of blue flax, hot mined springs, volcanic rocks, saline efflorescence, is also a rich and interesting region. Um, so what do these differences tell us, you know, between the 1847 and the 1850 maps? What's Distano explaining? Um, in my opinion, the differences between the two editions illustrate that in 1847, Distanel was creating a narrative of Mexican failure to inhabit the lands and control Indian tribes in the region. Through the descriptions in the 1850 edition of the vast resources that the US had discovered, Distanel was implicitly suggesting that the US had a rightful claim to these regions. Because Mexico had failed to inhabit the lands, they'd failed to integrate Indians within the nation state, and most importantly, they had failed to establish any kind of productive industry in the area. So these themes of Mexico's failure and the U.S.'s right to these new lands, 
Do we see those in other maps from this period, or was Disterno unique in, in portraying this? No, absolutely. There are certainly other examples, and we see it both in um, cartographically accurate uh, representations and also in uh, maps which were created for a sort of uh, ornamental view for, for a wider U.S. audience. Um, so a, a very good example of, of this kind of imagery is in an ornamental map of the United States and Mexico, which uh, W. Phelps designed, and it was published by Ensigns and Sayer, who were also a New York-based publishing house. So they present very similar narratives. The map was revised at least once, since there are two surviving copies from 1846 and 1847. Like the Dissonel map, the ornamental series are visual representations of new and extended nation rather than accurate representations of the geography. The ornamental map is more visually descriptive since the actual cartographic representation takes up approximately half of the total image. Um, so surrounding it, there's just lots of pictures which are really important to understanding the purpose of the map. Uh, so in spite of the uh, differences, they represent similar national narratives. Um, the insets in the ornamental map continue the narrative presenting Mexico as a failed state and show US possessions of the new territories before both nations had reached any kind of agreement. An inset describing the new territories describes New Mexico and California's natural resources and viability for economic development within the US nation. The last line of the description of New Mexico and California is very interesting and it tells a lot about the purpose and it reads These countries are destined to become important acquisitions to our republic in capital letters. Wow. Einstein's <laughs> um, so, entire like the Sunel, were also defining the new American territories in 1846 and 1847 prior to there being a reality. Um, other insets describing Mexican history also served to justify these kind of acquisitions by the US by representing Mexico as a failed state. The insets on Mexican history feature an in-depth description of the wonders of the Aztecs and Montezuma uh, with beautiful pictures of, of, um, of the temple with no description whatsoever of present-day Mexico except to say that Mexicans have not preserved these historical treasures. In this narrative, Mexico had therefore destroyed the legacy of a great civilization, it failed to become a functioning nation-state, since there was nothing worthy of describing in the present-day country, according to these authors. So as such, the map represents Mexico as a defunct empire, and thereby justifying uh, US colonialism of it. And in the other insets, there are some very interesting statistical um, comparisons between the two nations, which uh, I'm not going to talk about them right now, but they're in the uh, PDF on the blog, and they're really great for classroom usage. Excellent. Um, so you mentioned earlier that these maps were republished regularly throughout the war. Uh, do we get a sense of how the war was progressing through these maps? Oh, yes, absolutely. And this is one of the great parts of the maps because they were republished so many times and really reflected current events um, You know, as they were going on. So... Um, an example of this is Distonel permeated textual representations of U.S. military activities throughout the 1847 national map of Mexico. And one of the really interesting things is the routes uh, that the um, military established, the U.S. military. So the routes that U.S. troops established into Mexican cities and the locales where key battles took place are represented by thick red lines with texts such as General Woods' 1846 route from San Antonio to Monclova. Another route, called General Taylor's Route of 1846, visually represents the, the route from Corpus Christi Bay to Puerto Isabel, where the text informs the viewers of the key battles of Palo Alto and Rosaca de la Palma in 1846 and the establishment of a U.S. military base, Fort Brown. 
The route then continues south of the Rio Grande to Mir and then southwest through Monterrey to Saltillo. This denial does not provide information regarding the subsequent battles that took place in those towns, nor whether the troops were still there or whether they'd been defeated um, when the map was published. The information just simply represented that the generals had established the routes to a U.S. audience, thereby making uh, you know this audience feel uh, like the, like the U.S. were being victorious, <coughs> um, and representing obviously the most recent events in the war. And what's so interesting is that in the same year. Distanel published another map called A Pocket Map Seat of War in Mexico, being a copy of General Arista's map. Um, and this is interesting. So he published two maps in 1847 that both represented the US victories in Mexico. And what we'll see is that in the Seat of War map, um, he was illustrating more recent victories than his first 1847 map. The Distanel Seat of War map illustrates the most recent events in the war in almost real time. The map was actually a copy of a Mexican map that General Taylor discovered among the possessions of General Bautista after the US victory at Resaca de la Palma in 1846. This discovery had been of huge military importance to the Americans since the map illustrated accurate routes in northern Mexico and previously the US generals had relied on highly inaccurate maps that did not have detailed information. Um, military historians have actually argued that this map was of key importance in decisive victories uh, along the Saldillo, and without it, the US may not have won as many battles as they did. Wow. So General Taylor appropriated this map in the Battle of 1846. By 1847, Distanel, New York, had acquired a copy of it, and he had republished it with his own notes. So, you know, this is very quick timings. And obviously, in his 1847 uh, annotations, he had written in the most recent victories after 1846. So it's very interesting in terms of the news and, and how quickly it travels. So going back to the red routes, which are a salient feature of Distanel maps, the red routes in the Seat of War map are far more extensive than those represented in Distanel's 1847 national map. Therefore, if we take these maps at face value, in one year alone, the extent of US penetration to Mexico had almost doubled. Distanel also inserted red flags to represent towns taken by Americans, a feature that was not present in his previous 1847 map. So these changes illustrate why the New York map printers revised the editions and republished maps so frequently. The fact that the same publisher printed two maps in the same year that represented such different visions and military realities suggests that the maps were in fact a means of visually representing current events in real time to a North American audience. So the last significant mode of representing recent events that Distanel employed was the inclusion of insets depicting the major battlefields and these are really key and you'll see them in the attached PDF. The 1847 national map had two insets while the 1850 had five and the 1847 seat of war map had six. Um, these both represented American military superiority within the battles and their, and their gains, as well as images um, of strong American soldiers versus weak Mexican these maps and insets are, d are definitely key additions to the maps as they illustrate the extent of US military penetration deep into Mexican territory. And most often, these insets represented events that occurred less than a year before publication of the map. Wow. So to sum up, what is the significance of these maps and what's interesting about our study of them? 
Well, what's really interesting about these maps is that because they're not cartographically accurate, they haven't received a huge amount of attention from historians. Um, military historians who, who look at the US-Mexican War often look at military maps as such. And these maps don't fit that category. Um, they were definitely maps that were produced to inform rather than uh, to be used for any practical purpose. Um, but I think they're really important, and I think that the American maps published during the war... These ones often represented a direct need to visualise the rapidly changing geography of the American nation and explain the victories of the war, as well as justify the need for the war. Imagery illustrated the prowess of the US military, as well as the many victories. The representation of Mexico served as a means of describing the other in order to self-define as a nation. Comparing US natural resources economy, population, other key factors to those of Mexico by using different types of data and imagery meant that cartographers were able to represent the US as the dominant neighbour and the rightful claimant on Mexico land on the basis of need and potential usage. Um, the US maps discussed were most probably published to educate a US audience of recent events in the US-Mexico war. In representing such events, the cartographers and publishers presented a US national narrative that defined itself in contrast to its southern neighbour. Mexico was represented throughout the narratives in the maps as a failed nation that had not yet shaken off its colonial history, was marred by political conflicts, controlled by Catholics, and had failed to utilise its natural resources productively. And you see most of this when you look at the statistical data that I spoke of earlier. The conquest of northern Mexican territories was therefore justified through a narrative of Mexican failure to fully utilise them. Repeated publications of the same maps with new editions representing the most recent events illustrated an active desire in the publishing houses to describe the recent events and incorporate them into US national historical narratives in the maps that they represented. So yes, I think they're very important. Excellent. Well, Chloe Ireton, thank you for being with us today. Uh, this has been another episode of 15 Minute History. The documents that Chloe refers to in this episode can be downloaded from our website, blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15 minute history. That's the numerals one five minute history. We'll see you next time. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to have us talk about on an upcoming episode of 15 minute history, go to our website blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15 minute history. That's one five minute history and click on the contact us link in the right sidebar. The opinions and views expressed in today's episode are not representative of the University of Texas at Austin or any of its constituent bodies and are solely those of the people who spoke them.